0: through the book. Uh, My goal is to be through the book by the end of the year. We're getting close to it. If you've been keeping records and taking notes, this is the second year I've been in here. But we have taken breaks for Father's Day and Mother's Day and things of that nature. The seventh bowl of wrath, consummation. And of course, our text is Revelation chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. So let's start by defining that word, consummate. What does it mean? Well, it means complete, finished, or masterful. So if you tell someone they're a consummate chef, you're basically telling them they're a wonderful chef. They're the ultimate chef. They know exactly what they're doing. Now, it can be used to describe something of joy or something good, consummate joy, or it can be used to describe something bad. Someone is a consummate liar. But the phrase, to consummate, means to bring something to completion. Therefore, once this seventh bowl is poured out, God declares the end to his judgment. Hence the title of the message, the seventh bowl of wrath, consummation. When the events of this bowl, judgment, are complete, the tribulation will be finished, And the end times will move into their final stages. Look at verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. And by the way, this is the most severe and totally devastating judgment of the entire tribulation. He pours out divine wrath upon the realm or kingdom of Satan. Why would I say that? Because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And we can see that back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It states, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, this doesn't mean he has power over the storms and wind. He hasn't had any control over the weather. But just to say that he dwells in the air. There is a spiritual realm around us every moment of every day. And since air is all around the world, his kingdom is all around the world. But the devil is not omnipresent like God. He can't be everywhere all at once. He has to go back and fro, and he has his demons that he commissions out. He's very organized, And as a side note, have you noticed that he knows what buttons to push just to get you all riled up? For example, I can sit here and say, I need patience. God, grant me patience. He will send me to Walmart after service to see if I can exercise patience. And while you're laughing at me, he'll put you in a traffic jam. Let you see exercise patience now. That's how God works. The rest of the bowls have only affected some part, or kind of limited. But this particular one goes after all the enemies, after all the pagan powers, all at once. This is the last devastating blow. Evil is being taken out. And look what it says back in verse 17. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. Now, this voice came out with power, authority, and majesty. Now, there's two places it came from. Either from God the Father, who's sitting on the throne, or from God the Son, who's in the midst of it. Simply because it says, from the throne, I would say God the Father, but in the end, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is the phrase, it is done. Now, this phrase sounds familiar to us. That's something Jesus said from the cross. He said, it is finished. You see that in John chapter 19, verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Now, in that text, he is using the Greek word, "teleo." It means to... I just lost my place. It is finished implies a fulfilled payment. In other words, he's talking about the payment for sin. Ransom has been paid. Everything has been done that needed to be done. It is finished. Done. Let me tell you this morning, your salvation is paid in full. There's nothing you have to do. It's all been taken care of. The only thing you need to do is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Excuse me, profess Him as Savior and Lord of your life, and you're saved. Baptism does not save you in and it by itself. Baptism is an indication of what's happened in your heart already. It's a public declaration that you're going down, following him in the tomb, dead in your sins and trespasses, dead to yourself. You go into the water and you're raised in the likeness of him with the resurrection power of Christ. Now you're living for him. You're a new creature. Everything else that you've done has been thrown away. Your identity is now found in Christ. Here in our text, it's Genomai. It means to become or to happen. In this phrase, it's translated, it is done. Now, the thing about this particular word, it's in the perfect tense in the Greek. Why is that important to him? Well, I'll tell you. It's an action that happens, but the effect of that action continues all into eternity. It keeps having lingering effects. So when he says it is done, those effects are going to be felt for a long, long time after he pronounces those words. We read in verse 18, there were flashes of lightning, sounds, or, and peals of thunder or rumblings of thunder. Now, you've been around here in Texas. You've seen a good thunderstorm. You know when it seems to go from one end of the house to the other, and then it just booms, and your windows kind of shake. That's what he's talking about here. And we find a similar description found elsewhere that are gradually increasing in intensity. Revelation chapter 4, first part of verse 5. We read, Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Then in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar. Which he's talking about, the altar of incense. Remember, that's the prayers of the saints. He throws it to earth, and there follow peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning. And an earthquake happens Then. If you look down in your text in verse 18, it talks about an earthquake happening here. Although it's much different than we read about back in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. Look at verse 18. There was a great or severe earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. And we read the results of this unprecedented earthquake are described in verses 19 and 20. The Texas says this type of earthquake has not happened in the history of all mankind. We've had some terrible earthquakes that the earth has experienced since we've been around. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want you to just put that back. I want you to think about that. Has anyone ever been in an earthquake? And you, yeah, you're in California. I'm sure. You ever get real bad, you got scared? I remember when I was just a kid, I don't remember much about it. it woke me up and it was over because uh, we were living in the Pacific Grove and my dad was in the service. I was probably about five or six years old, even that old. But an earthquake. And one of the results of this earthquake, look back in verse 19. The great city was split into three parts. Now, what city is that referencing? Almost certainly, it's a reference to Jerusalem. They go back to chapter 11, verse 8, we find this their dead bodies, the two witnesses will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt. Well, it don't sound like Jerusalem to me, but listen to this next phrase. Where also their Lord was crucified. So it sounds like to me this is Jerusalem. And if you keep reading in that verse, you'll find that the city of the nations, literally the Gentiles, fell. They collapsed. Think about that. This earthquake happens. Jerusalem splits off into three different parts, and all the other cities fell, or they collapsed. And this splitting was anticipated by Zechariah. You see that back in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Now I have a picture here i like to show that we have seen some devastating effects of some serious earthquakes around the world. In 2003, in Iran. 2004, in the Indian Ocean. 2005 in Pakistan, 2008 was in China, and 2010, Haiti. Now, according to my research, I could be wrong. There might be another one out there I didn't find. But the worst earthquake in the 21st century thus far took place on December the 26th, 2004. The epic of the quake was the Indian Ocean. Now, the quake had a magnitude of 9.1 on the Richter scale. One of the strongest earthquakes on record. However, it wasn't the earthquake that killed people. It wasn't the earthquake that did a lot of this damage. It created a tasami. Tidal wave. This tidal wave was so big that it went, hit the coast of Indonesia all the way to West Africa. It killed 227,898 people. Now, we have tornadoes around these parts. I have a cellar in my, at our house that we can run to. You can take cover. They have pretty good indications now about when it was about to hit, tell us to take cover. Hurricane, same way, they tell you from this point to this point, hurricane make, take cover, go away. We have we can prepare for it. But an earthquake, there's not really a good way to prepare for it. In fact, you could ask Roger, he's a geologist in the house, but there's earthquakes happening all around us. Some of them are not recorded, and some are happening in places never have seen an earthquake in such a long time. But my point being, to prepare for an earthquake is almost impossible because sometimes you don't even see it coming. There's no signs. It just happens. Earthquakes are caused by the tonic plates moving and shifting. Now, normally this is regulated to a small, well, not really small. These are a regional area, if you will. But I read this text, it seems like, all these titanic plates are moving, and it's a worldwide earthquake that the earth is experiencing. Now, wrap your mind around that one. And so the earth is being violently shook with the judgment of God. Think on that. It causes devastating effects that are described in text. Then we come across a phrase in verse 19 about Babylon. It says, Babylon the Great was remembered before God or in God's presence. Now, I'm probably going to mispronounce this river, but there's two Babylons here. We have the actual Babylon that was on the Euphrates when the city actually was occupied and thriving. But there also is another reference to Babylon on the Tiber, which is in Rome. So Rome is the Babylon. I think it's referring to Rome because the religion and morality that... Babylon had at that time has filtered down into Rome and dare I say even my own country you know there's a movie out that I highly recommend Sound of Freedom and in that movie the events take place outside the United States but then at the end of the movie there is a statistic thrown up on the screen that just gripped my heart the United States consumes the most is a top consumer consumer of sexual, child sexual porn. But Babylon would be incorporated to Rome in John's day. That's what they thought of Rome and their pagan practices. But it says it was remembered. Remember for what? It's to be remembered for judgment. Look what the text says. Drink the cup of the fierce wrath of God. Things have gone on for so long, perhaps they thought they'd get away with it. But now the time has come. This unprecedented judgment is going to come. The one judgment that has been laid for so long is now falling upon that city. See, a lot of times we get into habits and doing things that we don't get caught or there's no immediate consequences to it, and we think we've gotten away with it. Dearly beloved, God's not going to be mocked. He will remember and he will judge. A lot of people in our society, in our country, think, well, God hasn't done anything yet, hasn't done anything yet so either he's unable to take care of it or he doesn't care. Oh, yes, he does care, but he's being patient. 2 Peter 3, 9 the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. If you have a pet sin or something no one else knows about, and you refuse to repent of it, refuse to get help with it, God knows about it. But he's being patient towards you. Why is that? Not wishing for anyone to perish, but for to all to come to repentance. The reason why this has not happened yet he is waiting for more people to come to repentance and put their faith in his son Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He is waiting for more to respond to that invitation. He is given that mission to tell them about the gospel to you and I, the church. You don't come to church, you are the church. It's where the church meets. God's peoples meets week in and week out. And our missions go out and to warn them. This is a warning text. Don't make any mistake about it. He is wanting more. God is very patient. I love what the old King James does. Long suffering. That's exactly what it is. Think about in our finite minds that we have compared to God's infinite mind. Think about all the wrong and evil we see happening in the world. This is his creation. This is his world. And yet he is standing off right now from his judgment because he loves his creation so much. He wants everyone to get a chance to hear the gospel and to come to repentance and come to salvation. I can't think of a word big enough to describe the patience and the love and the mercy of God. Perhaps that's why Mr. Newton wrote the song Simply Amazing Grace. What else can you say? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rest like me. In verse 20 we read that every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Now, it has happened in times of earthquakes that an island that was once prominent may sink down below the sea and you won't see it anymore. And more violent earthquakes can cause an avalanche or a mountain to disappear. But this particular case, every island And the mountains were not found. It obliterates some of the great mountains of the world. As I thought about the mountains and them falling down and the islands fleeting away, I thought of Psalm 97 1 through 6. It may seem a little strange to you, but there's a description in here about mountains. Bear with me. It says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. Now listen to this. The mountains melted like wax. At the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The mountains just melt like wax. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. I know most of us in this room have probably had worse experiences where we have seen and tasted the glory of God. It happens. And once you've seen or tasted that, you want to stick it around. That's the beginning of a revival or spiritual awakening as it's described. But that's just a small glimpse. Because if God was to manifest His presence in a way we could see Him with our physical eyes, I would be no longer standing here. I'd be crawling beneath the pew in fear and being frightened in the presence of a holy, mighty God. Remember Isaiah chapter 6? I saw the, high, the Lord high and lifted up. It's interesting to me in that text that God doesn't say one word to Isaiah. But Isaiah is in the presence of God. He immediately knows who God is and who he is compared to God, and he falls down. I'm a man of unclean lips. So you get in the presence of God. There's wrong response. You're going to fall to your knees. In fact, the text tells us that one day is coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now this next verse, 21. Spent a lot of days thinking about this. Says huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon man. And by the way, ladies, that word translated man is anthropos. It can be mankind, women and men. No one's excluded here. Now to hear another report, especially around these parts, about uh, I don't know dime-sized hail. Sometimes you hear about baseball size hail. And you hear baseball, you start getting worried, don't you? You hear softball size, oh no. That thing will put a, put a hole through your roof. Now, that's not uncommon to hear that. But they can be incredibly destructive to property, animals, and people. I have illustrations up here about different sizes of hail. You see, it ranges from a quarter size to a softball size size hail, and how big they are, and what kind of damage usually comes with them. Sorry, it's not really that clear, but in the top, you have damage to singles. Quarter size hail can cause damage to your single, shingles on your house. Then you have golf ball. You can get dents on your car. Uh, I remember one time we were out in the, at work, and there came a hailstorm we had a little Ford Escort at that time. Like someone took a ball peen hammer up. Just put nice little dents in it. Then you have baseball, which windshields can be damaged. Uh, it can break out your glass in your car, in your, in your house, break out a window. Possibly put some serious uh, dents in your plywood underneath your shingles. Or if you have a metal roof, I'm sure it can dent that up. Then you have softball size, which is four and a half inches. And that's when whew, everything can get damaged. Now, you get hit with anything bigger than a golf ball. Even a golf ball will probably knock you out. may kill you, but anything bigger than that will definitely kill you if it hits you on top of the head. Now, let's keep this in common. Let's go to the next one. talks about the speed of hailstones as they fall. Uh, less than one inch, 9 to 25 miles an hour. You can see it goes up the scale. So here's at a uh, less than 4 inch. They can fall at 100 miles an hour. Now, our text says about 100 pounds each. Literally, in the text, it says about a a weight of a talent. And a talent, I've read some scholars say anywhere between 60 to 75 pounds. But think about that how fast that thing is falling and how big it is that's falling to the earth. It's hard to wrap your mind around that image, isn't it? And this is happening worldwide. Think about the destruction it would cause. This is God pouring out his divine judgment upon the earth. And then we read something that kind of takes you back, look back in the text. Verse 21. Men blasphemed God or cursed God because of the plague of the hail. Because it was extremely severe. Even in the midst of this happening, they refuse to repent and they curse and blaspheme God. This terrible storm has no effect on them. For the third time in one chapter, men have blasphemed or cursed God because of the plagues. As I said earlier, the picture here is earth being convulsed with the judgments of God. Even in the midst of the judgment of God, falling out. Men still blaspheme God. Now, I'll admit the text doesn't say anything about if they come to repentance. But with that in there, I can't help but think, if someone did come to repentance and said, God, please forgive me, would they be saved? They still might be killed. But could they be saved? Well, I'll say possibly yes. But how arrogant. How arrogant and just downright prideful do we have to be before we finally break? Now I'm getting close to me. How long is it going to take, Tim, for God to get your attention? How long are you going to keep going down that same road until you finally clicks and the light comes on? Throughout the course of human history, rebellion against God has been escalating. We can see it. These things have always gone on, but now they're becoming more and more in your face with it. We have people blaspheming from the pulpit, not preaching the word of God, but preaching their opinions and downright heresy and treating it as the gospel. The temporary and local judgments in which God has manifested his fury against sin have been warnings for all of us. For all mankind. Even in judgment, hardened sinners will not stop their blasphemy so how could the father accommodate that type of persistent wickedness i would say in no other manner than to implement its final and complete destruction and that's what god does how much longer is god going to sit back and take it now i know that's not the type of god we hear about all in the news and on the media But yes, God is a God of love, God of mercy, God of grace, but God has also a God of judgment, a God of wrath. That's why Jesus died the way he did. It was bloody, it was nasty, a horrible way to die, but he did that so you won't have to experience this because he loves you that much. He doesn't want you to experience the wrath. He took it on himself. Even when I shook my fist in his face, he told me, Tim, I'd die for you. Won't you come back home? Quit trying to do it yourself. Hmm. I remember an uh, illustration I gave at a pre-teen camp up in Aspendale, New Mexico. A camp up there around Cloudcroft. Now, many of you may not do this now, but how many of you like going to amusement parks or maybe you're younger and ride rides, coasters, maybe a water slide or two? You ever gone to Six Flags in the heat of the summer? It's miserable. And then someone comes to you and says, hey, you want a bottle of water? How much? $20? $20? It's only five ounces? We wait in this line. And being completely transparent, there are some people there who don't believe in personal hygiene very much. Then you're standing in line, you're sweating, you're hot. And you see the ride going and going. And you finally, you get there. All right, I'm getting on this thing. And you sit down, you put the lap bar, restraints to have, you take off. The ride may last a minute and a half, maybe two. And you end up in the same place in which you started, but you get off on the other side. Now think about that for a moment. You probably spent anywhere from an hour to two hours waiting in the heat and the sun with people who might not have good personal hygiene, you're thirsty, and you're tired, to ride something that lasts only about two minutes, you took all that time out of your life to do that. Now, I'm not saying going to music parks is evil, okay? Don't take that out of this. But I'm trying to make a point. We treat Christianity and and coming and assembling as a church that way sometimes. You're all ready. And we get excited Man, did you hear the sermon today? Did you hear the music? Today? Yeah, what wonderful. And we get on that ride like a roller coaster. We ride it, we get all excited, Then when we leave, we go right back to where we started. Nothing changes. It's like getting on that roller coaster, ending up in the same place in which you started. That's not Christianity. You're once you're saved, that means you're justified in the eyes of God through the blood of Christ. You're justified in that moment. But then becomes a process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ by coming with other believers as a church to worship Him, to study His Word together, to pray together like we're going to do tonight, to cry together. You know, in the college prayer, I have cried, I have laughed. I've been consoled. I've been advised. Precious, precious moments with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we all have the same goal in mind. We want to be more like Christ today than we were yesterday. I want to be more like Christ now than I was back at 9 o'clock this morning. So I'm going to end with this. And I'm going to use the text written by the Apostle Paul under the direction of the Holy Spirit. 2 in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and following. But I'm going to change the words to make it more personal coming from me. Therefore, in light of all this we've talked about this morning, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I beg you, be reconciled to God. God, somehow make an appeal through me. Because he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you might be the righteousness of God in him. This is a warning text. Now, some of you will say, Tim, I trusted Christ a long time ago. That's great. But where are you in your walk? How about this destruction that we just read about? Now we've been reading about it for quite some time. We had the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. God has dealt with his church. You ever notice that in the first part of Revelation? Where does he start? With the churches, the seven letters to the seven churches. My question is this, how about people you know, loved ones? Does your, Do you cringe when you think about this happening? You may be the only witness they'll ever see. Have we lost our compassion for our fellow man that we just, well, if they want to know who Jesus is, they know what the church is, they can come in. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't hang out in synagogues. He went to the synagogues, but he didn't hang out in the synagogues. He went out in the streets, talked to people, met them where they were, loved on them. Now, he spoke the truth to them. He didn't mix words about it, but they know he really cared about them. Because here's the bottom line, that if you really love somebody, and you really care about them, you will tell them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In love, in grace, and mercy. Because when I was called out of my lostness to come to Christ, he didn't do it authoritatively, he didn't do it hitting me, or do it with a loud voice. He said, hey, you know my gospel, why don't you come on home? And when I did that, It was like the prodigal son. I could feel him reaching out and pulling me in. But he said, Tim, this is not it. There's more for you to do. What's that? Well, I'll tell you in due time. Just tell me you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. Okay. And it's been that type of walk ever since. He won't tell you everything up front. He wants to know if you're willing to do it. He still calls out teachers deacons. He calls out workers, volunteers. We got blasts coming up. All these wonderful opportunities. You are called to be a missionary. Because once you walk out these doors, that's exactly what you are. And we have that nice little logo, we call it. Living by faith. Known by love. That's what we're called to do. So my question to you is this. What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? I pray that we all will be obedient to his voice. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your long-suffering patience. Father, you are telling us through your word exactly what is going to happen, what is coming. That there is a day of reckoning approaching Father, we need to make sure of our relationship to you through your son and be about doing your business. The mission and task you've given us all to go out into all the world and to proclaim the gospel. Father, you allow us to be able to impact eternity. Father, forgive us for our cold hearts. Forgive us for our apathy to where we just don't seem to care anymore. Father, restore to us the joy of our own salvation. Rekindle that. Let it burn deep in our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to move among us and that each one of us will be obedient your voice. Your will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with